Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Tom, Dick and Hyman show, episode 24. I'm Tom, and unfortunately Hyman could not be with us today, but making up for his absence, we have Tim. Good evening, or morning. How are you doing Tim? I'm good, thank you. Yourself? Yeah, not too bad, not too bad. Looking forward to uh, what we're going to be talking about later. Really? Yeah, so today we're going to be tackling a very controversial subject. Might see our audience drop off even sharper than the last episode. Well, Hyman's already gone. <laughs> yeah, we've already lost Hyman, yeah. I'm hoping that that lack of plays on the last episode we posted is due to like just summer holidays or the Olympics. And not the fact that we've offended people of our terrible jokes and incredibly unpopular opinions. But anyway, coming up later, we're going to be talking about my problem with hate crimes. <laughs> Before that, in what could also be ruled two hate crimes, Leslie Jones got hacked, had nude photos of herself exposed online. Link in the description. Really? No. Yeah, just have a quick look. That's my phone. Okay. Now, why would you want to do that? And no jokes, no jokes about Harambe. I'm Googling Leslie Jones. <laughs> I've got a picture of Harambe. <laughs> I knew. I see. I told you. I knew no, that was coming. Seriously. Plus, a French woman was ordered by police to expose herself on a beach. Times have changed. But kicking us off, let's have a little listen to Hillary Clinton describing what she hopes will surely be the final nail in Trump's coffin. The final solution? The final nail. Conservatism as we have known it. This is not republicanism as we have known it. These are racist ideas, race baiting ideas, anti Muslim, anti immigrant, anti women, all key tenets making up the emerging racist ideology known as the alt right. Now, alt right is short for alternative right. The Wall Street Journal describes it as a loose but organized movement, mostly online that rejects mainstream conservatism, promotes nationalism and views immigration and multiculturalism as threats to white identity. So the day So Hillary there talking about the alt right. And uh, you might have heard someone when she said the words alt right there that what somebody was shouting out was actually uh, Pepe. Pepe, who's Pepe? Pepe is a little frog. Well, I don't know if he's little. He's like a human-sized, anthropomorphized <laughs> frog. He's some random webcomic. There's a fr- oh, he's not a real thing. No, no, no. It's a little drawing. You'll notice that the ident for this podcast is actually a Trump Pepe. But it's a frog who's got, like, several oh, facial expressions. Oh, it looks like one of those um, meme, meme things. It is indeed a meme. And we're going to be talking about memes coming up later because the alt-right... They're into their memes. They're kind of all about memes, really. So just what exactly is the alt-right, Tim? Sounds like you're kind of it's, uh, people. It's really? I don't know. A little bit. You have to be very... I think you have to be very careful about labels. <laughs> what what you label yourself as or what other people label you as. Or mm. God knows. I, I've never heard this phrase before this week. Actually, Hillary Clinton's the first person who's, who's mentioned it. They, they only really exist online. So it's basically anyone who doesn't want to vote for Hillary Clinton. That's what Hillary's implying there. But she's connecting Trump to the alt-right. Uh-huh. We're going to be um, talking about that a little bit later. But just what exactly is the alt-right? It's kind of a loose grouping of somewhat different right-wing people who have become largely disillusioned 
with mainstream conservatism, mainstream conservative parties. So in America, the Republicans, in Britain, the Tories. There's a small alt-right presence in Britain. It's okay. much more of an American thing at the moment. Okay. And do they call themselves the alt-right or is it... Okay, so it's an actual thing. Yeah, there's... Um, I mean, there was there were people talking about the alternative right for years and years as just anyone who's not quite with the mainstream conservatism, right? Okay. So it's not something that Hillary Clinton's cooked up, really. It's something that's... No, it's not one of her right-wing conspiracies. Okay. But the term alt-right, short for alternative right, if you hadn't guessed, that was coined by a man called Richard B. Spencer back in 2010. Now, he's a white nationalist who describes alt-right as being an ideology built on European identity. And uh, the alt-right, they tend to sum up European identity as basically like uh, traditionalist Judeo-Christian values. Yeah, but that's such a wide thing because that most, most people in this country aren't Christian or Judeo. <laughs> <laughs> Culturally. Culturally, no. Uh, we all know what nativity play is. We all know uh, what... I suppose, okay. The okay. son and the father and all okay, that. Okay, okay. And uh, the alt-right, they're mostly interested in protecting the white identity well, predominantly male white identity, and what they perceive to be attacks from multiculturalism, from feminism, basically just from the left wing in general, left wing ideas of collectivism they don't like. Just generally saying that you're, you know, in this group that's under attack, I don't feel like I'm under attack by any sort of race or something. Not even the Remain campaigners. (laughs) That's a different story. I mean, if you look at like what's going on in uh, mainstream press in terms of... I've seen the phrase toxic masculinity. I've seen that becoming more and more popular, used more and more commonly. I've seen uh, notions of white privilege become more and more mainstream. Mm. You know, the idea that white people owe everything to slavery. and But of course, that's... Even though I think less than a... 2% of white people's ancestors were actually slave owners. And, and there's this whole thing of white privilege as well. Yeah, which we, used is... to, we used to call that white guilt back in the 90s. Yeah, but it's like, I, I didn't choose to be born white. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but you benefited from it anyway. Yeah. But like, <laughs> but like, like you know, just like there, there are differences between races. You know, there's advantages and disadvantages to be had, whatever race you are. Be the, be the biological, you know, <laughs> or societal. I know, or I societal. know what you're referencing here. You're referencing that study that came out in the middle of the week, isn't it, about penis length? Yeah. Britain right in the middle. Well, for the record, I've never actually measured my own penis. But Britain, or anyone else's for that, <laughs> my own, for that sense. It, need, it needs to be spoken about. It needs to be talked about at the highest yeah. level of government because the whole issue of racism is, is really important. Is your like, message not being upset about being poor because you have big dicks? Is that yeah. your message? Yeah. Oh, for God's sake. But, uh, speaking but, no, of but the- what I mean is it's, it's, it's like an irredeemable difference that you'll have. Like, you know, the fastest man in the world probably always be a black guy. Some well, people look, are better. Let's, uh, let's talk about the alt-right, though. Yeah. It's actually hard to uh, pin down the alt-right. I'll explain why it's hard to pin down the alt-right in terms of exactly where they lie on the political spectrum or the political compass, depending on which you prefer. Because, I mean, there's a little bit of a paradox with the alt-right. So on the left, uh, you've had a thing called identity politics that's become popularised. Now, the right traditionally aren't really for that. They're much more about individualism rather than collectivism. But the alt-right the alternative right, they do their own version of identity politics. The alt-right do the same thing, but only with whiteness and white people, white community, white identity. But but of course, what you said was um, the alt-right represents everyone who doesn't want to vote for Hillary Clinton. In Hillary's mind, yeah. Yeah. 
Because Hillary is obviously, <laughs> she's portraying the alt-right as nothing more than white supremacists. But it obviously isn't. At the heart of it is white nationalism, unquestionably. So why do and, white... Uh, what? a white-centric nativism. Do you know what I mean by that? Mm, does it involve big green frogs? We'll get to Pepe. What's he got to do with things? He's like a symbol of the alt-right. I thought Hitler was. So the alt-right uh, the, the, the alt right are worse than the Nazis. Is that what's the, the narrative now? Depends if you're getting harassed by them on Twitter, I suppose. <laughs> like, you, know I mean? like, you might be like, well, Hitler never hacked my account. Like I so say, it's hard to figure out because it's mostly online. And so there's, there's avatars and usernames rather than real people that you can interact with. Yeah. You're never really quite sure... Is this member of the alt-right, are they really a white supremacist? Or are they just an 18-year-old with a dark sense of humour that's desperately trying to be subversive and shocking? Yeah. But they're not actually really a white supremacist. They're not burning crosses on anybody's lawns. But it's like what I said, it goes back to, to, to being labelled. It's, it's all about the labels you take and the labels people give to you. It's like, listen to me, like you've already called me an alt-right. <laughs> Despite the fact that sounds like I'm worse than a Nazi. Okay. And secondly, I can see it's very easy to apply the term of alt-right to someone, like you say, in the world of Twitter and, and today. It's like... Easy to dismiss someone. Well, it, but it's easier to be alt-right, maybe, if you're into like taking the piss out of people, because by its very nature, the left is uh, a very easy target. Because the, the people they the people who are against them, are by their they've sort of assumed this victimhood. Like a lot of Hillary's supporters... They sort of take the stance of being victims. But is it not genuinely offensive to hold a position, say, of being pro-only uh, interracial marriages and objecting to interracial marriages? Alt-right people believe, tend to believe, not all, but for the most part, they tend to believe that white should only ever marry whites, black should only ever marry blacks, yeah. Hispanic should only ever yeah. marry Hispanics. Yeah. There shouldn't be any genetic mixing of any kind. Uh, I don't know. From, from so they're like, kind of Hitler rest and Nazi esque yeah. in that sense. But that's like, really weird though, because that that's, that sort of thing never never entered my my mind in my life because of my own sort of family background and just growing up in London, where you've always been surrounded by people I, of different races and stuff. It's not a. I accept you're not a member of the alt right, so you. Can but, stop I want, but I don't defending want. But I don't want yourself. Maybe that's what I am. I'm a libertarian. I mean, this is the thing. Like, it's a it's a bit of a broad church. The alt-right. You don't have to be a white nationalist to identify as alt-right. You could just be someone who doesn't like political correctness, like Alex yeah. Jones doesn't like yeah. political correctness. You could be someone who has a dark sense of humour that might say the occasional racist yeah. joke yeah. in a post-ironic way. Yeah. But. It's basically just a slightly more edgy way of saying you're a libertarian. Makes you sound mm, a bit yeah. cooler, doesn't it? You still really want sort of freedom and you're not, you're not, a, you're not an actual fucking racist. You just, yeah. you know... It's, I mean, I don't think that's what that's what Hillary should have said. Is like I'm against libertarians. So uh, alt right members, they're not big believers in white privilege, and they're not really bothered by inequality. They just think that's the natural state of the world anyway. Yeah. And as a consequence, they obviously don't support what America calls affirmative action or what we might call in Britain positive discrimination. They obviously wouldn't support things like that. Uh, the alt right aren't. They're not aggressively against ethnic minorities. They're more they. They kind of direct their venom more at traditional conservatives. Like so, in America, it's, it would be traditional Republican Party representatives and people like. Uh, well, I imagine they actually quite like Rush Limbaugh, but you know, like Joe Scarborough, uh, Sean Hannity, uh, okay. who's the, the Irish TV fuck, the TV Bill guys, the TV guys. Yeah, they hate. They hate Glenn Beck. They fucking despise Glenn Beck. So uh, the alt right hate traditional conservatives, and they've come up 
with a little term that they use, and they call uh, they call them cuck servitives. Okay, and basically, you know what a cuckold is? A guy it goes who's... back to cuckoos, how they take the nests of other birds and kick out their babies. Oh, is that what they And are? force other birds to raise their know. kids. I did not know that. Wood, woodpeckers and cuckoo, cuckoos, they're bastards, man. They're the oh. bastards of the bird world. But in today's world, it basically just means I can't satisfy. I, but basically, when you can't satiate your wife anymore, <laughs> they call them cuckservative because they think traditional conservatism has already conceded way too much ground to the left. They've already given up way too much in what they consider to be a culture war against the left. So they're desperate to fight back. You don't like the term cuckservative? No, it's a very offensive thing to call someone. The paradox with the alt-right is they don't, tip, they don't seem to typically be against gay marriage. Yeah. They seem to be perfectly fine with homosexuals. Right. Transgenders, not so much. Uh-huh. But gays, lesbians, queers, whatever, they're Does totally that, that, fine um, with What's his name? Milo. Yana. Milo. You're not he, he's, he's homosexual. Yeah, gay, Greek, God. But, but he's like <laughs> the head of the alt-right, isn't it? Between him he's, and the frog. He's kind of positioned himself as like a spokesperson because it's, I mean, I like Milo Yiannopoulos, right? But I mean, he's not really a member of the alt-right in terms of, he's definitely not a white nationalist. And, uh... Gay. Yeah, and he's gay as well. But like I said, the the alt-right don't strike me. From what I've seen of them following certain alt-right people on Twitter and what have you to try and figure out what they're all about. They don't seem to really have any issue with gays. They don't really seem to be too bothered by gay marriage. They're more bothered by things like mass immigration. Uh, They perceive that white culture Mm. is being usurped by foreign immigrants, Mm. which is kind of ironic when you're American to be worried about that. They're worried about the demographics changing, whereas whites are starting to become a minority in certain cities and Mm. towns. Things like that concern them. But gays, eh, like bum sex, not really, doesn't bother them. So do you think it's uh, conceivable that maybe in a few years you'll actually get a, a party that will sort of publicly describe itself as alt-right party? Well, do you, Hillary, think, do you think that this is actually like a new... I don't think it's going to last. No. To contradict what I said in prior podcast episodes. When Trump loses, let's say, play it safe, when Trump loses, yeah. the alt-right will... Riot? No, it will kind of go away for the most yeah. part. So the alt-right largely existed online like exclusively online in uh, places like 4chan, Reddit, Twitter. Facebook. Do you know anything about 4chan, Tim? No. 4chan is like, it was commonly described as the arsehole of the internet. It's where all the dregs of society, all the biggest trolls of the internet, they'll meet there. And they're basically, it's, they're trying to be subversive. They're trying to be funny in a shocking, dark way. So that's where all these memes come from. Yes. Okay. The alt-right love their memes. They're all about meme magic, as they call it. They think they think meme magic is going to get Trump into the White House. Right. But they used to exist exclusively online. Today, they have a figurehead in Donald Trump. And Donald Trump is holding actual political rallies. So that means members of the alt-right now have a place to go to meet up with other people of the alt-right. And they're... Traditional conservatives have, of course, kind of fucked off of this. They think the alt-right is destroying the Republican Party from within. It's like the opposite mm. of Britain and Labour, where like the yeah, far left are trying to destroy Labour, yeah. and the Republicans are getting destroyed by these weird quasi-far-right nationalists. They want jobs back from Mexico. So now that they have a figurehead in Trump, this is why Hillary Clinton has referenced them. Like She's desperate to make the connection between Trump and the alt-right. And what's helping her is a website called Breitbart.com because Breitbart 
are staunchly pro-Trump. They've become uh, a meeting ground for alt-right people. They're the alt-right news network of choice, Breitbart are. And because Trump's now aligned himself with the head of the American Breitbart, what was his name, Stephen Bannon, something like that? Well, he's become his new press... Campaign, I think. Campaign, campaign manager, manager, yeah. Yeah. So Trump is now, but he is connected to the alt-right. And Hillary, she's not out of line. Even though it's a guilt by association thing, mm. Trump has actually voluntarily made connections to the alt-right. To be honest, if he wants to win, even though I'm not entirely sure he does want to win, he's probably going to have to start distancing himself. He might have to get rid of yet another campaign manager. But the alt-right, like I said at the start, they're very much in opposition to the left. Now, the left generally, not entirely, are in favour of things like political correctness, uh, language policing, making sure people use the right appropriate words, and the alt-right reject that completely. And I'm on board. I'm on board with that. And why, why, do, they, why do they think like, like that? It's because they'd rather talk about the truth, wouldn't they? They think their opinions are being shut out. Yeah. They present themselves as free speech advocates. But they believe in this absolutist idea of free speech where literally you can say literally anything you want. But that's how things are at the moment. No, not even America. Not even America does absolute free speech. No, no. We've got got Speaker's Corner here in Hyde Park. Yeah, but you still have things like incitement to violence, racial hatred. But like I say, because they're so against political correctness, members of the alt-right take it upon themselves to try and offend left-wingers. Yeah. Say they come across someone who's left wing and then worse still, they notice they've got a Jewish surname. They will like almost immediately start sending anti-Semitic memes, image macros. And, you know, they um, they were the ones behind. Have you ever seen on Twitter? People have these three brackets around their names. This is because members of the alt-right were they were collating lists of Jews on Twitter. (sighs) And they would put, when in their communications between each other, they would put three brackets around the names of Twitter users they believe to be Jewish. And so a lot of people on Twitter, to show solidarity with Jewish Twitter users, put brackets around their names in the hopes of confusing the alt-right. Yeah. But it's like, listen, you know, like it's pretty well established what are Jewish surnames and what aren't. Mm. But it's hard to tell when someone's on Twitter mm. and they've got like alt-right in their Twitter handle, right? They're letting the world know they're alt-right. Mm. It's hard to know if they are genuine neo-Nazi psychopaths, like genocidal racists, or if they're just trying to wind someone up. They're just trying to piss people off. Yeah. And that's kind of the similar phenomenon with Trump. You're never quite sure. You you always convince Mm. yourself, he doesn't mean that. He didn't actually. No, no, no. He'll he'll walk back from that. And then two weeks later, he doubles down on it. It's anti-establishment, isn't it? Exactly. It's it's slightly anachronistic. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, they are quite. They they're alluring in the sense that they are rebellious. Yeah, like the whole I mean? Brexit thing. I felt like a rebel. Now, a big British supporter of Donald Trump is, of course, Milo Yiannopoulos, who writes for Breitbart.com. He's their tech ed- editor. Now, he's been big on Trump from early. I think almost from the moment Trump announced he was going to run, and that's that's over a year now. Mm. And, and and the thing that's happened to him recently. He's been banned from Twitter. Because Milo, he describes himself as the internet's biggest supervillain. He describes himself as a provocateur, where basically he goes out there to try and piss people off as much as he can, which is similar to the alt-right. Yeah. But he's he's adamant he's not actually alt-right because he's not a white nationalist, he's not a white supremacist, he's a gay Greek. But he does 
he kind of almost takes the role of a spokesperson for the alt-right because people in the media, Milo Yiannopoulos is the only real alt-right person that they know right? who they've seen on TV maybe or at least in YouTube or what have you. Yeah. But he's very entertaining to watch when he does these uh, debates. Although he is very offensive in his language. Yeah. You he know. doesn't do language policing at all. Yeah. And I like that. I, well, I'm cool with yeah. things like that, but not the white nationalism, not the racism. Yeah. But it's like he's, he's, he's up there on the stage and like he'll say something uh, provocative of femme people who say like, you mm. know, feminism is cancer or something. Yeah, which I can is, see the funny is, side of that though. Yeah, but you know, not if you're like cancer. If you're, if you're a feminist for cancer, it's really offensive. Hillary, but, Hillary read out some of his headlines. Yeah. And one of them was, yeah. uh, it was a poll. Yeah. But, Would you rather your daughter had feminism or cancer? Yeah. And I think cancer won yeah. but, by like 12 percentage points. Yeah, but like... But like what what I mean is um, he's up there on stage saying these things and he probably doesn't, he doesn't mean it because he might have no. someone in his family with cancer, you know? Yeah, exactly. And like, it's, so it's, it's the whole thing of a lot of these alt-right people. Maybe it's um, just this sort of inflammatory nature yeah. of, of the way they communicate. It's They know they're winding people up and yeah. they're loving every fucking second yeah. of it. Milo doesn't need to be on Twitter. There's enough people who imitate Milo on Twitter well, that he got, doesn't need to be there. He's anymore. got his own website, presumably. He does, and he's got Instagram, Facebook. Okay. So it's like, he's not... He was... Um, I think he was planning on getting permanently banned from Twitter anyway. Okay. Almost like a and badge it, of honour. Yeah, of it raises his stock. Like, oh my God. Because like I say, they they come across in a world where everyone's hypersensitive where there's all this contrived outrage where they're turning mountains into... Uh, they're making mountains out of molehills. A guy like Milo is going to stand out and he's going to attract an audience just be, like just for the, the fact that he's different to the norm. He's mm. contrarian. Yeah. Uh, I'm a little bit worried with... He's got a sort of fellow traveller status with the alt-right and it does kind of worry me a little bit because like I like Milo Yiannopoulos. I don't agree with a lot of his politics. Some I do. I do love the fact that he's cheeky and irreverent in a time where it's kind of almost not allowable to be that. Unless you're an ethnic minority and you're gay, you can get away with it then. Yeah. But I am a little bit worried about his connection to the alt-right because they are, there is definitely at the heart of the alt-right is white nationalism, is really? racism God. and xenophobia. No, that's, that's actually quite, quite sobering thing to hear. So like all these sort of funny memes and stuff. It's almost like a sort of seduction of the innocent, you know, yeah. if they're getting support. Because he's, he's trying to distance himself from it a little bit. I've noticed he talks about cultural libertarianism, yeah. which is his way of saying, I might post something racist, anti-Semitic, homophobic, mm. something offensive, <laughs> but I'm not doing it because I actually believe in those sort of yeah, bigoted principles. I'm just trying to be yeah. shocking. And the other thing is, the other thing about Milo, Milo Yiannopoulos, he's, he's quite young as well, isn't he? He's young. His, yeah. his fan base is young. 30, I think he's His young. fan base has probably got a lot yeah. of young people in. It's sort of rock and roll. It's cool. Yeah. And punk. Yeah, punk. Yeah. Maybe like in the last 10, 20 years, when you're a teenager, it was sort of cooler to be left-wing, wasn't it? Like socialism yeah. and stuff. And now, gay marriage. Yeah, and yeah. now maybe it's like, starting to get cooler to be like this contrarian in contrarian you know um it's rebellious yeah, yeah. the the right at the moment are the rebellious ones mm. ah now you mentioned earlier uh, milo yiannopoulos permanently banned from twitter do you know yeah. what that was over oh was it just one incident it wasn't a, a series of things yeah he had been banned almost routinely i think maybe right. like four or five times so what was the that. tweet what did he say well you remember ghostbusters the yeah. remake that yeah. came out earlier in the year yeah 
Uh, Milo wrote a scathing review right. of like, the Ghostbusters film. Like pretty much everyone else who saw it. This Ghostbusters remake obviously starred Leslie Jones. She was the... Um, she, uh, well, I'm glad to say she wasn't really a token black character. That was probably the one thing you can say the new Ghostbusters has over the original. She's less of a token black character. Right. And um, someone sees Milo's review, tweets it at Leslie Jones, and then Leslie Jones retweeted that, and she called Milo a gay Uncle Tom in the tweet, right? And then as a result of that, some of Milo's followers started sending her racist abuse, pictures of Harambe, all of this, blah, 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 right? And then uh, Milo finally catches wind of it, and then he starts sending... He was making... He wasn't being, like, 100% abusive... But yeah. once he was blocked, he put the he screenshotted it and then he put he tweeted out something like, Oh, blocked by another black dude, something like that. Oh, okay. Which yeah. is obviously offense. It's disrespectful. Yeah, but, but like I said, I was talking earlier about the, the distance between your ears and your heart. You're in you're in control of that. Yeah. And like she yeah, could walk just, away from your phone. Why do you even have to be on why do you even use Twitter? Like she's rich enough, right, to have like a fucking PA just to do Twitter for her. <laughs> you know? We mentioned just before the little musical interlude there, Milo Yiannopoulos has been permanently banned for life from the uh, Twitter platform. And uh, the reason for this is he got into a Twitter spat with Leslie Jones online. Did you see any of that, Tim? Uh, No. Just like equally, I didn't see the new Ghostbusters movie. Yeah. Which I understand he did a review of. That's right, he did. And he didn't like it. Funnily enough, Leslie Jones was the one he took least issue with out of the four new female Ghostbusters. I mean, to be honest, she probably did give the best performance out of the four, actually. She was the most human. But um, someone tweeted his review to Leslie Jones. She then responded and she referred to Milo as a gay Uncle Tom. Right. She's quite an offensive thing. In a way, she fired the first salvo. Some of Milo's followers took offence to this, ironically enough, and started attacking her, started sending racist tweets at her, like with racial epithets, pictures of Harambe, things like that, right? And uh, Milo then got involved about a couple of hours after that started. Now, Twitter banned him for life under the allegation that he incited this racial hatred against Leslie Jones. Right. Since then... Leslie Jones had her iCloud hacked. You know, your iPhone has automatic, this cloud feature. Yeah. So anytime you take a photo or something, it's automatically uploaded to the iCloud. The default setting Mm -hmm. is it gets uploaded there automatically. That was hacked. They say hacked. To be honest, I think it's most likely whoever did it just guessed what her password is. She probably had like an easily guessable password. Like Ghostbusters. Yeah, it could have been something (laughs) like that. Well, it was probably something like Slay All Day or something like that. Show. I hate Milo. <laughs> it might have been. Now, on her iCloud were nude photos of herself. Right. Uh, a photo of her passport <gasps> and a photo of her driver's license. Pretty stupid to take a picture of your photo and driver's license. Yeah, they got the trifecta. And, 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 sure and your ass, still... actually. And, and your ass. <laughs> Come on. I suppose to disse- disseminate, you know, naked pictures of you publicly is, uh, is a very bad thing. You, can, I mean, the only thing you can really do is protect yourself. But this has been taken very seriously because um, not only did they get access to her, her iCloud, they hacked her own website and released these images through her own website. Could Almost just, like um, revenge for for Milo getting yeah, kicked off. There was uh, there was a 
a revenge porn expert lawyer who came out and said, actually, um, if Twitter didn't permanently ban Milo, this probably wouldn't have happened. This was a revenge act. Mm. It's been taken very seriously, though. A branch of Homeland Security is getting involved. I thought Homeland Security was to do with, like, terrorism. I know. You'd think the FBI would uh, be there before Homeland Security, but... the interesting thing is hacking is, is, is massively important now. Like we, we all hear about the, the Sony hacks that mm. happened. Uh, that was actually done by, you know, a foreign agency. Obama said it was the North Koreans. Yeah. It's, it's a new world we live in where uh, we might think it's about arse picks, but you could get people hacking into military equipment. Now, if it turns out it was a Milo Yiannopoulos fan, yeah. does Milo have to shoulder any of the responsibility here? It's a bit difficult. Like, I was talking about how Milo is a bit rock and roll and stuff. If mm. there was a band whose lyrics were like, jump off a bridge, jump off a bridge, do it do now, it now <laughs> yourself. Yeah? And someone did it. And someone did it. Mm. What's that, you know, it's, it's all about that interpretation thing, isn't it? It's, uh, for me, it's uh, the liability you, is, the way you decide if someone's liable for this or not yeah. is whether or not they made a direct call to action. So if Milo never made any calls to action, if he never said to his followers, hey, uh, Leslie Jones has angered me, Yeah. now go get it. Yeah. Like, I don't think he actually did anything like that. No. But I suppose the argument is it's a natural consequence. Someone who's got a lot of followers who takes umbrage with another Twitter user, mm. if they start tweeting about them negatively, they know their followers are probably going to go onto their account yeah. and start being a bit abusive. It's kind of the nature of the internet is to be mm. abusive and short, sharp, witty and, insults. Yeah, and so, you know, I suppose you're saying morally, you know, the artist should have a responsibility for the effect his work has on people. No, actually, I don't really. So I think you, um, like say, if, if I tweet something negative about a popular celebrity, say, right, and then something, someone does something awful to that celebrity, yeah. there's no connection between me and that person. No, they're just a nutcase. It's yeah. like if someone sees a film of a murderer and reenacts the murder in real life. Is you know, it's not the person, it's, they, they made that choice, you know. It's, and then the person who does the illegal act is responsible for the illegal act. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's, yeah. that, it's that simple. Yeah. The silver lining for Leslie Jones here is the days of where sensitive, provocative photos of yourself getting leaked, the days where that actually harms your career, they're long gone. They've, uh, they've been gone for about 25 years, I'd say. I mean, look at uh, Jennifer Lawrence. Right. Uh, prior to her nude photos being leaked, she was kind of just a so-so actress. But, you know, like I would call her, you know, uh, you have, you know, when uh, you have a fight card. Yeah. You know, you have the headline yeah. fight, the real main draw. Yeah. And then you've got the mid carders. Yeah. Jennifer Lawrence was like a mid-carder. Uh-huh. After her leak happened and she oh. became a figure, a sympathetic figure, quite rightly, yeah. she's now the highest paid actress in Hollywood. Wow. So Leslie Jones can expect... Yeah, I don't uh, think it will affect her bag balance negatively. No, nah, not at all. She'll get some more movie roles coming in. Yeah. She'll get some TV deals coming yeah. in. I expect her to have her own TV show yeah. soon. Yeah. I've, I've, not, I've not seen the pictures. I don't know if they were like naked roles. Do you? <laughs> What, is she going to be like the new Demi Moore? No. <laughs> Showgirls 3? Because I think they made two. She gets tight. <laughs> she gets tight. However bad one was, I think they made two for some reason. I don't know why I remember that. For me, the real story here is these things keep happening. They happen at least once or twice a year. And yet people still don't talk openly about 
online privacy and protecting yourself online. Yeah. It's it's it's, it's going to take some sort of like a uh, sci-fi scenario where like someone will take over all the computers for a day and like <laughs> they, I think we're, we're probably going to see ultimately a few more of these sort of leaks and stories and and then some real serious laws that that come into effect. It's yeah. not victim blaming to say you can take precautions to yeah. prevent bad things happening. Yeah. Should we make it mandatory that people have to have different passwords for different websites and for their iCloud on their phone? I think ultimately you won't have a password you'll be given a password be- by the government <laughs> and that's your fucking password and it's between you and the government they've already <laughs> they've already got back doors into everything anyway well yeah I've often you know felt the presence of the government around my back door it's another missed opportunity. But here's how you don't miss out on your opportunity, folks. We talked about this on the podcast. Uh, it was episode 14 about online privacy and uh, internet utopianism. Go listen to that now because it's highly relevant. Giving ourselves a little bit of a double exposure there. Speaking of involuntary exposure, a uh, French woman on a beach earlier in the week, she was ordered by a French police officer yeah. to expose more of her skin yeah, on the yeah, beach. Yeah. They took great offence to the fact that no one could see her forearms and her shoulders. She was, of course, wearing a burkini. Such a massive story from such a small incident. What is a burkini, Tim? Um, it's basically an all-body wrap, which, interestingly enough, was invented in Australia. Mm. It's, but it's very popular among um, women who are Muslims who choose to cover up. It's like a it it's like a, a full body wetsuit, yeah. right? Including a hood, yeah. but it's Which, got extra layers around the breast area and the genitalia okay. area to look. So you, it's not so figure hugging. It looks yeah. almost like um, like it's a ninja suit, the shape of a dress more than okay. But like the thing is, if if it was like a really hot boiling day on the beach, and I've got very sort of easily burnable skin, <laughs> I'd, I'd probably wear like something like that sometimes. If I was like, I don't know about the whole full. Fa- it doesn't have a face covering, does it? The lady didn't have her face covered. No, back in France. Have the, no, um, it's so it's a real, it's a pretty stupid thing. Yeah, but a handful of uh, French beach towns enacted this ban. Mm. Uh, I think within the last few weeks, I yeah. think they enacted it. And yeah. um, what kind of spurred it on was uh, in Nice, of all places, yeah. where the uh, terrorist attack, attack happened last month. Mm. A group of North African Muslims, I think maybe I don't know if they are Moroccan or what have you, but they commandeered part of a public beach, right, and designated it as a Muslim-only area. Mm. So any non-Muslims that walked into their area, they were trying to kick them out of it. Or they had to cover up. No, they were just trying to kick them out. Oh, really? If you're not Muslim, you're not allowed in here. And of course, no one has the right to do that on a public beach. No. It ended in a large brawl, a lot of people getting hurt. Not surprised. And so... uh, That's the thing, this whole burkini ban, it's like, obviously it's a terrible story and some some of the, the, the way the story was presented some in some outlets it was incredibly emotive and provocative they were like armed police surround this woman okay all the police in that area carry guns as, as normal you know well ever like, since that terrorist incident as well but yeah it's like but it was a shocking photo wasn't it it was a very well set up photo it was almost like she 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 knew that they were going to come along eventually are you getting alex jones on this then a little no bit? but it was a setup, maybe. They're a bit parochial and funny about certain things. It's, I think, since 1907 or something, it's um, they've had certain rules about displaying religious icons, mostly Christian ones. You know, you're not meant mm. to walk down the street with a big crucifix on. Okay, because um, um, that photo you mentioned of the Muslim woman with the armed police officers, yeah, it invoked memories of when police officers used to patrol the beach and they would measure women's bathing suits yeah. to ensure that they weren't there yeah. wasn't a, too much upper thigh exposed. Yeah. And it's yeah. kind of this irony of it's, it's now the opposite way. Yeah. And they were I, trying to stop 
too much exposure. Yeah, and, and, and of course, in in a lot of um, Muslim countries, there'll be religious police that'll go around and tell a woman if she's wearing the wrong clothes as well. Morality police, is that what yeah, they call yeah. themselves? And so, you know, it's it's just a stupid thing. I, I, I'm glad I live in, in, in the UK because um, you can wear whatever you like. You know, I can walk down the street dressed up as Spider-Man and, I, you know, it <laughs> looks stupid, but... It's allowed. It's, it's legal. Allowed. It's legal. Yeah, fa- face covering is one thing. Yeah, because yeah. ninjas. Okay, <laughs> but if you want to, if you want to sort of cover your head, cover your arms, cover your shoulders and feet, there's no problem with that. Or do you? Well, I don't know. You know, I know, I know Muslim women I, who it, do voluntarily wear, you know, the niqab, yeah, the headdress, yeah. But there are a lot of women out there that they're wearing it because they know if they don't wear it, they'll be on the receiving end of abuse people like people in their community will get yeah. fucked off with them yeah so i mean is it really voluntary is it i think um well they're with different reasons some some of them do it voluntarily because they actually believe it's a, a religious uh it's to their religious benefit obviously this law only applies to muslim women because only muslim women wear bikinis the banning of it so this is obviously a discriminatory law now french justice system doesn't allow for that. And so the French High Court has overruled these beachside towns that have banned burkinis and yeah. ordered that it be allowed. Yeah. But um, I think three, I think one was Nice, I can't remember where the other two are, but three mayors have already yeah. come out and said, we don't give a shit, no, we're, we're still banning it anyway. Because we're not there though. We're not there and we don't know what it's like. Like I say, Nice, just over a month ago, loads of people got in steamrollered and maybe they thought just for public safety, they were saying, let's not have too many obvious sort of Muslim things in case some nutter wants to have a go at someone just because they're a Muslim. But don't you think it's, keep it um, calm. it's an attempt to ensure Muslims don't go to the beach? Yeah. Isn't it really? That's what it's about. It's about saying to Muslims, you yeah. can't, you're not allowed to enjoy what other people yeah. can enjoy. Like but, say you would like, a police officer would never go up to a pale, chubby English woman who's trying to get away with a classy one-piece swimsuit, right? And go up to her and go, excuse me, madame, you must show your midri or you must get out of France. You know what I mean? They would never do anything like that. They're only doing it to Muslim women. Yeah, which so is clearly illiberal. Yeah. And I think the correct position on this, as you alluded to earlier, is that people should be allowed to wear what they like within reason, obviously. You can't just go out there with my, like, scrotum hanging out. Do you know what I mean? Mm. But that one thing I don't like, how the there's a media spin on this, which is saying, well, look, it's, it's about her and her modesty the Muslim woman who chooses to wear a burqa or a bikini, it has nothing to do with modesty. It's sexual repression. It's religious motivated sexual repression. Yeah. It's not modesty. It's not modesty to say, well, I've got to cover up because if I don't, men will be so turned on by my sexual wiles. You know what I mean? Like, that's it's not a, modest. And you and you could say it's a cultural thing. It is. But it's an old cultural thing. It, you 7th know, century, maybe? No, it goes back beyond that. But we, we went through this. Yeah. In the 60s and 70s. Yeah, because we don't hit each other over the heads like cavemen anymore and drag off women. But look, it's okay to let a woman... I say let, that's not even the right phrase. Women have the right to be sexual if they want to. They have the right to flaunt their body a bit if they want to. There's a, there's an implication here, though, right, that says, do you know what? If you don't cover up, if yeah. you're a woman who is wearing low-cut tops and short skirts, oh, well, then you, you must be an arrogant, decadent slut because we've set this standard of that a woman who covers up is a modest woman. Mm. And I don't like... That's the standard that used to exist and then kind of went away. Yeah. And I don't want it coming back. Yeah. We're getting distracted here. I know. And that's exactly what this Burkini story is. It's a, it's a distraction. From? The real story. 
which is... Islam versus the West. Mm, that's how some people view it. It's more a case of... There's been high levels of immigration from North African countries into France over the last three or four decades. Yeah. And they're not integrating. Yeah. And the French authorities have tried to force it. They've come up with some sometimes draconian measures to try and force it. One of which uh, includes... Um, you know how if an immigrant comes on their own and they have a family back home, if they become naturalized citizen here, they have the right to bring their family over. Mm. French authorities stopped that when it came to uh, North African Muslim migrants wow. for a long time. They also prevented them from getting jobs, from being able to apply for certain benefits, trying to strong arm them into integrating into French society. Mm. And it didn't work and it's still not working. And the French don't know what to do about it. And that's the real story. This focusing on this and saying, oh, what, what does this mean like for feminism? And what does it mean for women's rights? It's, yeah. The ah. real story is about lack of integration. Yeah. I get the feeling sometimes that, that France is like a real pressure cooker. I'd say it is, and the French have made it worse. Yeah, like We discussed a couple of episodes ago, uh, Hyman and myself, about how you have to reach out with the olive branch first. You've got to do that first. And the French didn't do that. They, tri- they, you know, they hit them with the stick, <laughs> and now they're contemplating sending out the carrot. I have a question for you, Tim. Okay. What happened to Leslie Jones and the uh, Muslim woman on the beach? Were those hate crimes? <laughs> oh, I thought you were about to tell me a joke. <laughs> no. Oh, it was like, Leslie Jones and a Muslim woman walk onto a beach. Yeah, and someone commits a hate crime. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But the question, yeah. I'll say it again. What happened to Leslie Jones and the French woman on the beach? Were those hate crimes? The one on the beach wasn't a hate crime because it was the woman who was breaking the law in France. <laughs> the law's the law. Yeah, point, logic, yeah. And Leslie Jones? <laughs> Technically, it's not a hate crime. It's it's a hacking offence. Which is a crime. Which is a crime. Not necessarily a hate crime. Because a computer can't hate you. Not yet, anyway. <laughs> they will one day. They AI will, will yeah, yeah. inevitably come to the conclusion we are shit. Yeah, yeah. They'll look at Pepe. <laughs> <laughs> well, you never know. Maybe every time your computer crashes, it's just like, fuck you, man. Coming up in the next segment. I was going to say the problem with hate crimes, but it's really, it's my problem with hate crimes, and I'm, I'm going to be... Do you hate hate crimes? I hate. I, I am You hate people who hate hate crimes. I am completely intolerant to tolerance. More on that later. Another question. How do you criticise, or even just attack... The idea of hate crimes without looking like a complete arsehole. Answer is, you just don't give a shit about being an arsehole anyway. You let it be known ahead of time that you're an arsehole. And then when you come out and attack hate crimes, nobody's surprised by it anyway. Is it a crime to attack a hate crime? Ooh, good question. No, it's not. It's not against the law to have an opinion against. It's not against the law to have an opinion. Like, that's what I was trying against to say. Against the law. <laughs> yeah, I didn't say that. Um... So but yeah, it's like, it doesn't necessarily, I mean, the assumption everyone is going to make when you say you've got an issue with hate crimes is that you're pro okay. hate crimes that you want to be What is able- a hate crime? Tell me what a hate crime is. <sighs> oh God. Let's go through the actual legislation and how it's worded, right? I'm going to read out a quote here. Hate crime involves any criminal offence which is perceived by the victim or any other person to be motivated by hostility or prejudice based on a personal characteristic. Hate crimes can be motivated by disability, gender identity, race, religion or faith, or sexual orientation. 
So the way that's worded, you see that bit at the beginning. Yeah. Do, uh, perceived by the victim or, or anyone else. Yeah. Like I said, the mic didn't pick me raising up my eyebrows to the ceiling. <laughs> um, yeah. Perceived by the victim or any other person. Like, so like two people could have a fight. Yeah. And someone watching that fight could say, oh, I think that's a hate crime. Yeah. Both the people who are fighting, like, no, no, it's not a hate crime. We'll just keep fighting. Thank you very much. You know, yeah, a third party could yeah. change all that. He and wasn't even involved. God. So, and also motivated by disability, gender identity, race, religion, faith, and sexual orientation. Mm-hmm. So it pretty much covers all bases, doesn't it? You, you can just make anything a crime. Anything a hate crime. Any yeah. crime can be turned yeah, into a hate, hate crime. crime. Yeah. Really? So, like, shoplifting. But what's the. Mis- <laughs> If the shop owner is an ethnic minority, a protected minority in terms of they're either they're gay, they're bisexual, they're transgender, or they're... Uh, Disabled. Or Jewish, Muslim. Yeah. Anyone who has protected minority status can be a victim of hate crime. But what that means also is if you're a white male, heterosexual, you cannot possibly be the victim of a hate crime. You'll never be asked, Is would, do you feel that this criminal act that was committed against you was a hate crime, was a crime motivated by hate. You'll never be asked that. You or, you or I would never be asked that. Right? Okay. Uh, to me, that's that's the creation of a two-tier justice system in a uh, way. I wouldn't expect the policeman to ask me, oh, by the way, this person who mugged you, do, do you think it's a hate crime? Are you gay? <laughs> well, these days, you might be asked that to establish okay. whether they should okay. ask. Because, okay. I mean, we should But the chances out- are they wouldn't ask me because I'm a white heterosexual male. No, they wouldn't. But, but if they we were should s- establish, let's yeah. establish for the audience, though, um, the way hate crime works, if you're the victim of a crime, the police officer, if you are a protected minor, if you have protected minority status, will ask you, do you feel this was a hate crime? Do you perceive this as a hate crime? And that's a fundamental change. Like, that's establishing a motive on the part of the perpetrator without actually... Asking the perpetrator. Well, not without relying on a confession from the perpetrator or any corroborative evidence. Wow. Which is how you used to establish a motive in a criminal case. You couldn't just presume what their motivation was, which is what hate crimes do. It's just a presumption of a motivation. Seems like a massively wired uh, goalpost. Yeah, you can't miss. And so how um, long is this a relatively new thing or so hate crimes were introduced by new labor and uh, i think it was 1998 oh so the tony blair um, tony blair establishment yeah his ethos was the criminal justice system should take more care more notice well, of the victim rather than punishing the criminal the focus should be on sympathizing with the victim but um it's bad enough that you kind of just leave it up to the victim to presuppose what the criminal's motivation was. Mm-hmm. But as you pointed out correctly, you took umbrage with at the beginning of that, uh, the actual legisl- the wording of the legislation, yeah. any other person. So it's bad enough that you're just leaving it up to the victim as opposed to trying to establish in an ob- objective way what yeah. the motivation was. Yeah. The fact that any random bystander can throw their hat into the ring and be like oh wait actually i saw it and it was definitely a hate crime that is it's kind of farcical in a way don't you think especially if that person has a has an agenda and of course it's like i I can imagine say i was like driving through a a muslim area and like say like um i went into like someone goes into the back of my car there's some like road rage cutting up incident and it escalates and they get out of their car 
Hit here. And then suddenly everybody have a fight. Fight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> police turn up, but then one of the onlookers say like, "Oh, you know, that's a hate crime." Because that guy's white. Because yeah, because he's a Muslim. But the other guy, the guy, everyone who was watching was a Muslim, and you could say maybe they thought, "Oh, let's fuck that." You know, it's 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 a very dangerous uh, thing to go down. And of course, the implication is a hate crime is worse than just normal crime yeah because rather than getting charged with like a fray i would have been attacked with i would have been charged with racially motivated assault so instead of just being uh, a reprobate who's prone to violence yeah you're a genocidal racist yeah there's a reprobate who's prone to violence you know yeah I mean? it's like i'm all right <laughs> see I mean, of course, if, if it's considered a more severe crime by virtue of being a hate crime, it's reasonable to presume your punishment, you'll get a stiffer sentence as a punishment mm. because it was a hate crime. It's been elevated to the status of hate crime. Yeah. So, I mean, like there are instances of false positives that arise where, say, a young white man burgles a home and it turns out that the home is owned by an ethnic minority. Well, now he's not just a burglar. He's a racist burglar. Mm. And it's all done in the name of not actually reducing the amount of racism that there is in there is in the country. Britain's not a particularly racist country. Even post-Brexit, it's not a particularly racist country. No. And it's like the emphasis is misplaced. It's all about just increasing the number of reports of hate crimes. Yeah. And I've what, often sorry, I've often thought about this from the police perspective. It's got to be a massive pain in the ass now because you you create you create a, another huge category of crime. That's just another you know column that they've got to deal with. You know, ticking off x amount of hate crimes they've managed to catch this week. You know, for their mm. own books, it's it's a hell of a lot of extra work, I imagine, for them. Well, they can't technically um, they can't dispute something as a hate crime, but they must have to sort of ask that question pretty much every time now for themselves is yeah, this because then they would be at risk of um what not asking it <laughs> well what they call secondary victimization oh. whereby a i guess you'd have to say an alleged victim until you know innocent till proven guilty or whatever if they feel like the police isn't taking them seriously enough the police are now at risk of being hate criminals yeah do you know what I mean? So it's like they can't show any sort of scepticism whatsoever mm. and their hands are tied, basically. But like I say, it's the emphasis is not on reducing the amount of hate crimes, it's on increasing the number of reports. <laughs> it's like you say, it's the presumption of a crime without any sort of oversight. Do you think it's the establishing of a thought crime? Where you, if you're able to presuppose a motivation <laughs> well, for a criminal. Well, the thing is, go, going back to going back to like my my story, like you know, having a, a road rage fight, which turns into a hate crime. It's, it's like thought police. It's like, oh, maybe <laughs> maybe I am a hate criminal, you know, <laughs> <laughs> or someone could be someone could do a hate crime thinking they're doing a normal crime, and but it's... they might not mean to do a hate crime. They're, they're just like robbing a bank. They didn't mean to do it dressed up as Hitler. It was just a if good disguise. No one would ever guess. If it's an Islamic <laughs> bank, hate robbery. Yeah. That's obviously ridiculous. People will perceive things incorrectly. Yeah. They'll perceive someone as being racist to them, but yeah. maybe they're really, maybe they're just a dickhead who's having a bad day. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Okay. Tell me this it one. Might not necessarily mean. This, is, this would probably be like a lawyer's dream case that they could retire on. <laughs> go on forever. Okay. The rainmaker. You've got, you've got um, a Muslim Uber driver. <laughs> and he refuses to let in a disabled person with their guide dog. That's a real quagmire in terms of hate crime, isn't it? Yeah, even though it's it's probably it's happened already. He fucking hates me because I'm. He hates my dog. <laughs> maybe disabled. Maybe it's a double hate crime. Maybe they both get to yeah. say it was a hate crime. It's I like don't a know. sort of 
level three hyper <laughs> hyper hyper hate this crime the, combo. All the all the police care about is the number of recorded hate crimes anyway. Yeah. So bam, that, that's that awesome. Just, two two for the price of one. It's nuts, isn't it? That's why that's why I'm convinced it's just like another. It's just a money maker for the for the legal profession for the state. We've already said we we are open to the possibility of a false positive of something being reported as a hate crime but wasn't actually a hate crime. Now there is still a mechanism for overturning something being designated as a hate crime, say, right? And what's that mechanism called? Common sense. It's called being rich, having oh. deep pockets oh. and knowing good lawyers. Oh. That's what it is. But not everybody has fifteen grand. Not everyone has twenty months free time to go challenge it in court. Yeah. Right? And so there needs to be a system where objectively they can figure out the false positives, they can distinguish the false positives from the real hate crimes. It's the lack, this is why I don't, this is my problem with hate crimes. It's the lack of objectivity involved in it. Yeah. It's entirely subjective. Subjective. And the law shouldn't be that way. This is a fundamental change to our judicial system. Mm. Like our system tries to be as objective as possible and hate crimes is the antithesis of that. And are the number of hate crimes being reported steady or is it a rising figure? Well, they want it to be a rising figure. They're not concerned with reducing the number. They want the Gosh. number to go up. And it kind of makes it look like they're doing something mm. about it when really they're not. And it also gives a false impression that Britain is a much more racist country than it really is. And another yeah. negative side effect, I would say, of hate crimes, it makes people afraid of everyday human interactions because they're worried someone might take it the wrong way. Someone might overhear mm. their perhaps off-colour joke and report it as a hate crime. Oh, completely. And it's, um, it's, I don't think that's healthy for human relationships to be deathly afraid of offending someone. It makes people suspicious of each other as well. Because when, when people don't talk, they're, they're just thinking, oh, what's that person thinking about me? Which is sometimes worse than what someone would actually say to you. What is a way of introducing objectivity into hate crimes? I think I come up with one, at least an idea. Um, I think there should have to be a... A criminal should have to have a history of targeting either uh, anyone with a minor minority protected status. Yeah. That was episode 24 of the Tom, Dick and Hyman show. Controversial as always. Yeah, don't hate each other. Yeah. And uh, even if someone hates you, don't hate them. <laughs> I think it's okay to hate them back, but keep it keep it proportionate. Don't make mountains out of molehills. Sticks and stones will break your bones. Words will never hurt you. They Hope could sort of fundamentally <laughs> break your confidence and undermine you for the rest of your life. And if, if you have been a victim of a hate crime, please go to truevision.com or tellmama.com. <laughs> if this programme has affected you in any way, uh, you can always go to the Samaritans. Yeah, and of course... Under no circumstances are we encouraging you to tweet pictures of Harambe to Leslie Jones. <laughs> Just to make it clear to the lawyers. Anyway, this outro has gone on way too long. I will have to thank my guest, Tim. Thank you for having me. As always, a pleasure. Do you get anything out of this? <sighs> nope. <laughs> <laughs> it made me think a bit differently about the alt-right, actually. Oh. Maybe maybe it is just like a, a colourful, sparkly bandwagon that's fun to jump on and ride. 
Yeah. But might be being driven by a man in a, a Nazi outfit. Yeah, <laughs> you K- never K- know. K- hood or something. Yeah. Little from little from column A, little from column B. But ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for listening. Until next time. Yeah.